0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Laity Podcast. This is Andrew here with Stephen and uh, one other very special guest. Really excited to have Doug King from Presence here with us this evening. And uh, right before we intro Doug... Um, want to say thank you so much as always for tuning in. I believe this is episode six and uh yeah as we've said we've we've wanted to to bring some guests on the podcast and doug has graciously uh, accepted an invitation. We're excited about what he's doing uh in his work and uh beyond but we're especially excited because he's just outside of our 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 city here of Atlanta so a fellow Georgian and again I'll have Stephen make an intro in a second. But uh, if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do so on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever it makes sense for you. And I uh, hope, hope you find this conversation uh, encouraging and, and hopefully insightful. Stephen, I'll pass it to you. Welcome. Uh, good to see you on the other side of Skype. And uh, why don't you intro, Doug?
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm really excited, man. This is our first interview, and uh, I think we landed a good one. This is good. Um, Doug, I, I came into contact with uh, your your work through, um, I think it was Luke Northworthy's podcast. Uh, I've been following him for a while since he started and, uh, really liked, I think the conversation I listened to was on spiral dynamics and and the Bible. I really enjoyed that. It kind of got me into a, a little bit of a rabbit hole. I went off and, uh, read a Don Beck book and took in some YouTube videos and tried to really just wrap my mind around it. And so today, uh, spiral dynamics is what I'm hoping we can talk about. Um, Doug, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Tell me about, tell folks a little bit about what you do, about, um, you know, a little bit about your background and uh, and where you are.
2: Absolutely. First of all, I'd just like to say a big thank you to both you and Andrew for this invitation. It's a real honor to be on your podcast. I love the work that you're doing and uh, love the fact that you're willing to take time out of all the things that you're doing in life, vocationally, with family, etc., to help facilitate these kinds of conversations that so very, very many people are thinking about and struggling with or questioning. So it's great Thank to you. be here. Great Thanks to so be much. Here. And I would also then for myself just briefly say that I'm currently uh, with a group called Presence. Uh, our tagline is A Global Conversation for a New Earth. Presence is not a thing in and of itself uh, in terms of an institution per se, but what we try to do is be a connector for people that are interested in these types of conversations that you're having and others are having, and we try to be a contributing force for that. We believe that that is kind of a leavening approach to the way that our spiritual growth occurs on the planet and the way that we can break down barriers and walls and provide a whole heck of a lot more synergy as we face the coming crises and challenges on the planet. So I am with Presence today. I do these conversations uh, all the time. It's what I get to get up and do every day, and I absolutely love it. So I'm ready to rock and roll today. Awesome.
1: awesome. So, presence—it's
2: not a church, right? It's a—it's a—it's a nonprofit organization. Yes, You're... we're a five hundred one c. We're a non-profit. and uh, again, we are not associated with any church per se. Uh, we are very much. Uh, interested in the conversation that uses the biblical narrative as its foundational point. That's where all our background is. So we come from the biblical narrative, although conversations that I have and paradigms and models that we use have allowed me to travel extensively and talk to people from a variety of different religions as well. But our primary focus is on the conversations that are happening uh, for the folks that are following from the narrative, got it, awesome,
0: got it. And I have to g- give a shout out. I think uh, Church of Christ background, generally speaking, correct? You, uh, which is similar to us, so you know, Ch- Church of oh, Christ, yes. Church of Christ roots. So excited about uh, excited about yeah. that. It was part of. Uh, yeah. I feel like we have a connection from the
2: beginning there. Oh yeah, we're like cousins. I love it. At- yeah, that's great stuff. So so that really is exciting for me. And actually, that was the same uh, for Luke Norsworthy. Right. Uh, he mm-hmm. preaches for Church of Christ in uh, Texas, where my wife has a number of relatives that are involved uh, over in Abilene, where Abilene Christian is. And uh, actually, a little-known fact, Don Beck, who's the author of Spiral Dynamics, the book, Actually graduated from Abilene Christian College.
0: Ah, well, there you go. Nice. It all comes
2: full circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in
1: our tribe. That's good. We'll, we'll, we'll make him one of our own.
0: Yeah, there you, there go. you well, go. Not too much skepticism here. You've already won us over. I think we're, I think we're good. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see though. By the end of the conversation, we'll yeah. see.
2: Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's
1: jump in. Let's jump in. So, Doug, Spinal yeah. Dynamics, man, I'm, I'm excited about this. Um, can you can you give folks? sort of just a high-level uh, overview? I mean, what, what is it? Where does it come from? And, and sure. why
2: people in the PU should, should care about it? Sure, absolutely. Uh, first of all, the uh, model of spiral dynamics is just that. And I always like to say to folks that especially their concerns may be, what does this have to do with the biblical narrative, I like to explain right from the beginning that spiral dynamics did not affect my interpretation of the biblical narrative. It rather enhanced the illustration of the way I was already interpreting the biblical narrative. So spiral dynamics is not a thing related to religion Uh, in and of itself particularly, although I have applied it to such. Spiral Dynamics is actually, based on data that was collected by Dr. Claire Graves in the early 70s, that data was an interpretation of worldviews of humans from the caveman to the iPhone and all that comes in between. And so it is a social science, uh, and the worldviews that are studied— help people to understand the evolution, and if that word bothers you, the growth (laughs) of human consciousness. Um, And and then when we get into the modern worldviews that we're dealing with today, that will become a lot more clear. But initially, I would just say that those Uh, worldviews are looked at and studied by folks who are obviously in history, but even more than that, in the world of finance, in the world of uh, economics, the uh, political realm. It's even been used by a couple of uh, professional sports teams. So Spiral Dynamics is a consulting model that is based on understanding human worldviews. And the purpose of it is to enable people to understand basically the page number that Mm. everyone is coming from so that when you're having conversations with people, you can talk eye to eye and not talk past each other. So Mm. Spiral Dynamics is based on the collection of data. It's a social science. It's not specific to the narrative. I've just made an application of it thereof. Excellent. So, uh,
1: as, as far, for for people from the church, I mean, what is this? Why should people sitting in pews be interested in even learning anything about spiral dynamics?
2: Yeah, and first of all, um, I would I would say they may or may not be. But or yeah, but exactly. For, me, <laughs> for for me, um, it was extremely exciting because I was always convinced that the biblical narrative is a developmental story, that you have a beginning, and in the beginning, you have the introduction of literally the consciousness of God, that there is God, there is an other. And then that consciousness begins to evolve through various stages uh, all the way up until the time of Jesus and the apostolic writer. So the biblical narrative is developmental. Paul, for example, makes that point when he says that he used to think as a child. He's not denigrating childhood. He's not saying, man, I can't believe I used to be a dadgum five-year-old. He is basically just saying, I understand that my personal journey as first Saul of Tarsus and then Paul, was one where I was growing up or maturing. Again, I would use the word evolving in my understanding of God identity. Now, what I like about the spiral is that is the same developmental approach that the spiral takes to the study of human worldviews. So when I begin to apply the spiral, starting with archaic Adam and moving all the way through the narrative— I was surprised on one hand, and then on the other hand, it was like, well, wait a minute. If this is the way human beings have grown up developmentally, according to social sciences, why should I be surprised that that's not an inherent God nature and that that wouldn't be the way the biblical narrative would tell the story of how we became more and more aware of what God identity was. So the two things uh, for me have always been hand in hand.
1: Hmm. Um, you know, that, that really connects. Well, we, we just recently had a couple of conversations on the podcast about some authors uh, and we were, we were um, looking at some concepts that have been pretty influential f- for us and how we read the Bible. And this, this idea of God addressing people where they are in, in time and place, it, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's really pretty powerful when you let it set in because it does uh, it does help, I think, make more sense of just some of the bizarre, crazy <laughs> stuff in the book. I mean, the Bible's kind of I mean, it's kind of a terrible book in some places, right? I mean, there's some <laughs> there's some great stuff in there, but there's some really, really just hard to read stuff. And I think uh, yeah. this this model of spiral dynamics has really connected the dots uh, for me. Um, so I'd, I'd love to hear you kind of unpack a little bit of, of these, these different levels or colors and
2: um, how all that works. Sure. Yeah, I'll do a brief couple minutes here. Just take a couple minutes to real quick give you the high-level view of the levels. Uh, They basically start with the archaic level, and that's where Homo sapiens began. Uh, That's where we would find archaic Adam, for example. And it is in this basic level that human beings are studied from their survival, instinctual understanding of the world, and their whole focus was simply that. It was to survive, find something to eat, find something to drink, procreate. It's the basic instincts of the individual. And then the worldviews that uh, came after that were because people began to form collectives, and the earliest collectives were tribes. And so in the tribe, initially, your identity was pretty much going to be like biological, who you were related to, In the biblical narrative, of course, it spends a lot of time initially talking about genealogy. Well, genealogy is a big deal because in the early days, that's where your identity came from, from your tribe. And so the tribal era was one where people were involved in magic, mythical thinking. Uh, We might relate that to things like voodoo. Um, magical gods, volcano gods, ocean gods, that kind of thing. And the tribes functioned uh, just fine in the sense that they were pretty much isolated because there wasn't that big a population on the planet. But when a famine happened and it caused the tribe to have to move or the population expanded and then tribes came in contact with each other, They were very suspicious, very fearful. The identities of what one believed were quite different than what the identity of others believed. And so from the tribal era, we enter into the warrior worldview. And the warrior worldview is the Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun. Uh, The warrior worldview is power rules. So you have power gods at that time. Uh, This would equate to... uh, the understanding that you should kill in the name of your power God or in the name of God of uh, to fight for what is right and for justice. But the warrior age was one that had so much bloodshed and was all about the self and self-empowerment, and that that was through dominance is how you ruled and survived, that it eventually gave way to the traditional age. And the traditional age is the age of empire. It's where you have uh, the Greek empire, the Roman empire. The traditional age is where Jesus shows up. And in the traditional age, we uh, do not have, we have more organized rule We have uh, uh, hierarchies beginning to develop, and you were a loyal subject of the kingdom. And one of the big things in the traditional age was that you did not question authority. You did not question the Caesar. You were a loyal subject of the kingdom. And then as time went on, and especially here in the West, I'll relate it specifically to, to our Western understanding, what came next was modernity. And modernity would be the Enlightenment, the Renaissance, and the advent of all the inventions and where technology began to take off, where the horse-drawn buggy and the plow and those kinds of things were replaced uh, in modernity. And the reason why there was an explosion in the age of modernity and technologies is because for the first time people began to question And this is the big difference between modernity and traditionalism is that in modernity, we question, and so we ask the question, is there a better way to do this kind of transportation? Is there a better way to do agriculture, plow fields? Is there a better way to make clothes? Uh, So on and so forth. And so you have, with modernity, the advent of the entrepreneur and so forth. Then... Of recent, and most recently in the last 30-plus years, I guess, or so, you have postmodernity. And postmodernity realized that the modern age brought a real focus on rationalism, um, success as far as making it from an individual standpoint, Uh, again, a real focus on the self, not really that much concern for others. Uh, not simply uh, from the standpoint of human rights, human justice, uh, discrimination. That really is where postmodernity came and said, look, the, uh, there's something that's missing. We, we really have an emptiness after all this rationality and, and all this striving for things in the modern age. We still have a yearning that's not being filled here. And so the postmodern age is one that was looking to react to that and to find more meaning in life when it especially came to relationships with other human beings. So that's a really, really high-level view of just the spiral itself and the first-tier levels. There is a second tier, and the second tier is called Integral. And Integral is a view that has been presented by Graves and others that says that we as humans now have the ability at this time to look back on all levels and evaluate the healthy and unhealthy aspects of each level Hmm. and to understand that each of those levels are active in us just like I still am the 5-year-old, the 10-year-old, or the 15-year-old that I was in the past that's still very much alive within me. And so when I get to an integral point of view, I'm integrating all of those. When I'm in first tier, if I'm in the warrior age, I don't sit around at night by the campfire and say, "Gee, what do you guys think about being in the warrior age?" <laughs> uh, you 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 just you just think that's the way it is. Right. And the same is true right. the tra- you know, traditional one. You just think that's the way it is. So uh, that really is is a high level.
0: Of uh, the of the spiral, uh, uh, Stephen, can I chime in? And that you're about yeah, to ask. Go ahead, go ahead. So, so just to, I want to summarize because obviously that's a very high level, and you can we could spend hours on each one. But to summarize and then ask a the question is following up. So we start. If you envision the spiral, and by the way, folks listening can literally just Google spiral dynamics, and you'll have a diagram in front of you, and it might be even easier to see visually. Um, but and maybe we'll put you know a picture in the in the show notes. So you have archaic. Um, which then transitions to the tribal warrior as number 3 traditional 4 modernity 5 and then postmodernity 6 and that is all all of that is is a representation of tier 1 and then Correct. tier tier 2 what you just started to get into is more of that the integration we call it integral but this integration recognizing that we can now look back and and have an, a, a I think the word that came to mind for me is self-awareness a, a sort of self-awareness and even collective awareness of the fact that number 1 you know we we these things all work together, and, you know, you have one of these things—you have the archaic, to your point. The archaic doesn't just go away within you, but rather you can recognize, like a tool, mm-hmm. what's good and what's not so good about that, and, and you can leverage it effectively, which I think we'll talk talk more about. I, I want to ask a specific question. How does—because I'm I'm envisioning this at on two different levels, right? You have history and kind of the history of mankind, um, which— this, you know, when we see this trajectory um, and then in particular within history, you have the biblical narrative, which I think is wh- kind of the framework we're using here and we're going to dive into, but then there's also the individual level. And my yeah. question is, does, if you, for example, are, and we're not going to use Jesus as the example, because I know he kind of transcends the traditional in his, right, in his uh, in his time, but for, for the average person in, you know, the warrior age, um, is it possible, like, does, does a person necessarily, is a person necessarily limited by the, the, the level that they're in, in the tier, meaning do we all evolve? Can we evolve to kind of levels beyond the level we're in? In other words, even though you're, if you're in the warrior kind of stage in history, is it possible or can you kind of transcend the warrior uh, stage and be, let's say, more of a traditional or, you know, be kind of more forward thinking. So that's my second question. The, my first question they didn't really say is, are these specifically tied to history, like with dates, where you could say, here to here is this age, here to here is this age?
2: Yeah, so basically, we should understand that the way I presented this was a nice, clean developmental level. And the fact of the matter is, is that throughout history, these represent eras where discoveries were made that transcended the previous worldview era in particular ways, but at the same time, there were also great regressions that happened. I mean, you went from all the things that the Roman Empire and its view in the traditional age brought in terms of societies, ruling class, military, indoor plumbing, irrigation. You go from what the Romans brought, and centuries later, you go into the Dark Ages. So regression Mm -hmm. is also part of the problem, or part of the process, rather. Now, to the point of can you be um, beyond the level you're in, so to speak, absolutely, and that's why one of the terms in spiral dynamics is center of gravity, what we're, what it, they see is that you have a center of gravity, and so your center of gravity might be that you are in that Red Warrior age, and so your center of gravity is that. But you might be uh, more in the traditional or the next worldview, uh, and possibly more than that, Jesus was— um, when you are experiencing a center of gravity that's in the warrior age. So yeah, it's not it's not a clean where you put everybody in a box. These these are eras of time where there's a transcend and include process that's happening. And all that it means is is that you include the things that you already learned in the first, second and third grade. But when you get to the fourth grade, you transcend by adding to that. Hmm. and so and so that's why it is developmental. maybe
1: um Doug, maybe you can kind of correct me here if I'm wrong, but I, I recall back to dis- describing uh, when I was being introduced to this, he he introduced this idea of of the evolution of psychology and and trying to think about it in the paradigm of like the evolution of of a physical trait. but with with psychology, what was different was there is this. And maybe that's what we're touching on here. There is this uh, sociological dynamic that's, that's kind of between people, and it, and and there's sort of a collective psychology. But then that trait or that element of psychology is also individual. It shapes our individual experiences. So what you guys are describing is is how do we how we apply this sociological model uh, of at the individual level,
2: right? Yeah. So, so let's just talk about that point for a minute. It's a great point, Stephen. Um, you have both the individual and you have the collective. Spiral Dynamics is really focusing on the collective. It's it's talking about worldviews that are held by the collective, the human collectives of that era or the current era that we're in. And those worldviews come into conflict. Now, if you get into studies, if you guys do any work uh, with people on the Enneagram, for example, which a lot of people have gotten into, that is a study specifically of individual personality types. So you can get into psychological uh, study, uh, shadow work, etc. cetera, that's focused purely on an individual basis, but when we're talking worldviews, we're talking about collective worldviews that are inherited and that would be passed down. For example, in the religious world, uh, it would apply to a denomination. A denomination is a collective. Well, if you go into a denomination and you sit down and you begin to have a discussion, that denomination has a viewpoint as a collective. Now, each person in there is an individual and they might hold views that are somewhat different than the collective views, but you have a collective view that, that really defines the denomination as a denomination and what makes it different from other denominations that are collectives. Right. And so, so you got individual and you got collective.
0: That definitely makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That may, so, uh, so overlaying this, no, that's, that's really, really helpful. So, part of this uh, evolution is, you know, from t- from from age to age, is you have the social, you have the psychological, um, the, these collective, and then obviously spiritual consciousness, right, which is, I think, a, a big piece of, you know, the implications here. Can we maybe now kind of transition, if it makes sense, to the biblical narrative and specifically how this would, uh, how the, the spiral dynamics comes into play when we think about not only the, the Bible and how it came to be what it is, but also how we read it. And, you know, ultimately what when you overlay spiral dynamics in these perspectives over the narrative and over the pages we're reading, um, what some of the implications are.
2: Yeah. And, and once again, that's that really is the kicker question right there, Andrew, is for me. Uh, What does that mean with regard to the biblical narrative? Because I see that as the evolution of spiritual consciousness, which is, again, my understanding of God identity. My understanding, therefore, of my identity will come from that and what I view the identity of others to be. And so when I went to the biblical narrative, I took spiral dynamics there and I thought, well, uh, the archaic stage is very nicely uh, described in the story of Adam, Adam and Eve. And the fact that Adam has literally an eye-opening experience, that eye-opening experience is related to spiritual consciousness. There were things that Adam were was completely unconscious of, and then Adam became conscious of certain things. He became conscious of uh, boundaries, he became conscious of boundary violations, he became conscious of consequences, and he became conscious of separation uh, of God as other. And this moved humanity forward with a viewpoint that was, in effect, necessary to begin with. A child that's first born has to differentiate itself from the parent, from the mother. From the Father. And so you begin with something that, in my opinion, is not a fall, but really is a necessary eye opening first step for human spiritual consciousness to begin. Hmm. And then you go to the tribal age and spiral dynamics. Well, who shows up next in Genesis and the genesis of uh, human spiritual consciousness? It's Abraham. You have Adam and Abraham in, in the genesis of our story, the story of us. And Abraham, of course, fits nicely into the tribal because his grandson is Jacob, and Jacob's name is changed to Israel and has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes. And so the narrative is f- tracking right along, and you you have that tribal era, and that tribal era is all about genealogy and biology and who begat whom. And within that tribal era, you have these magical gods. They may be a golden calf. Uh, and they may be uh, other idols that are described within the narrative. And so this meant that the people who were involved in the biblical narrative were just like all the other people on the planet. They were experiencing God through these worldviews. Hmm. so so then you have the early stages of Israel. And what's Israel do? Well, Israel goes out and comes into conflict with all the nations when she goes to the land of, of promise. And so you have in Judges this kind of R-rated uh, plethora of Seriously. violence and, yeah. and you know, and, and everything wreaking havoc and whatever. That's, that's very much the warrior, the early warrior understanding of God. And uh, as— uh, upsetting as it may be, the fact of the matter is human beings have always grown up and matured with, their, with respect to their understanding of God. And in those days, that was the view of God. So when you see the things that are being done, the question is, did God change over time, or did human consciousness of God change over time? And so when I look at that, I'm looking at that warrior age. And then finally, Israel moves into uh, the land and she sets up there in the traditional age. She's part of empires. You have the Babylonian Empire right there beside of Israel, the Assyrian Empire. And what does Israel say? Because this is the way worldviews work. Israel says, hey, we want to look like everyone else. We want a king. Mm-hmm. Well, why did they want a king? Because that's the way the worldview worked. That's the way an empire worked. That's the the way it was. And we want a temple and we want a priesthood, and we uh, we want religion, and it's going to look a whole lot like uh, the worldview of higher power, God, et cetera, from other empires. When you get to Jesus, Jesus comes right in the middle of the traditional age, right there in the Roman Empire. Israel has crystallized very much into an empire oriented um, institution. Jesus though and this is what's happening today this kind of is an intro to what's going on today with worldviews and the challenges that we we have in being able to have these kinds of conversations and hold the tensions thereof Jesus, Uh, presented not only the traditional worldview, and by the way, he made it a point to use a spiral dynamic uh, element when he said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill. That's a transcend and include statement. Mm. So Jesus was very much a spiral guy. And Jesus, at that point, though, also introduced modernity to the traditional age, because remember in the traditional age you don't question the pharisees you don't question the high priest you don't question the rabbi but jesus brought about the element of modernity that was that was superseding where they were because jesus always asked questions he would often answer a question with a question and so jesus is introducing something that infuriated the heck out of them he's questioning and it's like, who are you to be right. questioning what we have always believed for centuries? That may sound familiar to some of the people that are listening. And so he not only introduces that, but in post-modernity, we want inclusion, we want justice, and here we have Jesus sitting around the table with those who have typically been marginalized, discriminated against. And Jesus is sitting there at the table and including all of them. That's a real postmodern, if you will, understanding. Uh, again, and those are worldviews beyond the worldview of traditionalism in which Jesus lived. And the, the worldview that people have in as history unfolded in this first tier level is associated with one's identity. So... Mm. Anytime you, and those identities are boundary-driven, so all these worldviews have boundary-driven thinking, and once you go past the boundaries of someone's worldview, you basically, in their minds, are attacking their very identity. Uh, So this is the way I see it unfolding, and of course, the integral aspect in my mind is that God promised a second tier, which is to say a second covenantal understanding that was different from first tier or first covenantal understanding. He was going to talk about a new heaven and earth, uh, a new Jerusalem, on and on we go. So it it seemed to me that what was going on in the narrative was very much akin to the two-tier approach that spiral dynamics says is going on in all other aspects of human life so how
1: do you how do you see uh like like the cross and the resurrection functioning in that like because you're describing the two tiers through the current the 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 age and then the, the the age to come and you're thinking how does that how does that um what does the cross and resurrection do?
0: And and does Doug, it work? I, I'm going to interject as well and say, I know I kind of cut you off when you were even getting into the second tier. So maybe in answering that question, feel free to expound on the second tier piece as well.
1: Yeah, that's good.
2: Yeah. So that becomes a whole subject in and of itself as far as the second tier, because now we're if we take that to the biblical narrative, then uh, that will introduce a whole lot of concepts about, um, you know, are we in a second tier? For example, uh, do we believe that we are in the new heaven and earth now? That's a theological question that comes, brings in all kinds of different perspectives. Now, as far as the cross goes, the cross is, to me, uh, the foundation of what I would consider to be the eschatological Dimension of spiral dynamics. And I use this with Don Beck, who's uh, been here at our place. He came and spent a weekend here with me. And what I see in the cross is that it is the movement from one place to another place, and two things are happening at the same time dying and rising. And so let me make this example. If I was in the traditional age, And moving into modernity, I wouldn't go to bed one night, a traditionalist, and wake up the next day, a modernist. What typically happens is that I'm dying to one worldview, which means at the very same time, I'm rising to the next worldview. When I'm in that space, I am literally in a space that I would call a wilderness wandering. If if I go back to the biblical narrative, what's the narrative tell, tell me? It It tells me that you start off in some land worldview that becomes so tightly bound that you're moving beyond those boundaries, and it becomes for you a type of bondage mm. because you feel like you need to move beyond it. But you don't just go into the next place. You go to the wilderness, and there's a wilderness wandering. And in the wilderness wandering, I would equate that, for example, uh, to modernity. In the wilderness wandering, we question. We don't know. We wonder how it's going to come out. We don't have the answer. We know we don't think the way we used to think, but we're not sure about how we think about these particular issues or those particular issues. And then at some point, we arrive at conclusions. We do not stay in uncertainty forever about a particular issue, and we finally come to a place of peace, what we'll call the promised land. Now, I will say that in my life right now, the things of which I'm unconscious— are things that have me in bondage. I don't know what they are today. If I'm unconscious of them, but I also have other aspects of my life that are in transition, in a wilderness, wandering, and I have aspects of my life that are very much at peace. And this, to me, seems to be mm. the the biblical process that you're not wholly in one place or the other. that That's that that's basically called growth. And so the cross, to me, to answer Stephen's question, is a dying and rising process. That's the way it works in nature with regard to my growth, my evolution. And, and it seems I love that. That's, that's really, awesome.
0: That's great. And uh, yeah, definitely. Well, it, in that way of thinking, I mean, the wilderness piece almost just becomes—it just comes with the territory. I mean, it's part of growth. Like that is how growth happens. You know, I think for for our listeners um not to speak for all of them cuz i don't know all of them but you know for many that i have talked to and even for us I mean, there can be there can be a resistance to to the wilderness to the dying um to the tension that arises when you're in you know l- let's say let's kind of you know zoom this right in you know to to people that are maybe in church or in a formal kind of you know mm-hmm. multiple time a week church scenario Um, which I would say... uh, it can be in more of a, you know, call it the traditional kind of age way of thinking where it's, you know, it's, we don't really question authority. This is kind of what we believe in the Bible, boundary driven, which by the way, yeah. Doug, I want you to expound on the boundary stuff in a moment, very, <laughs> very much because yeah. that's rich, very boundary driven. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, for yeah. whatever reason, something I call them breaches, like there's almost a breach in the yeah. framework where something happens or you read an author you've never read before or, or an, there's a suffering or an event or yeah. these things yeah. happen that seem to come come along with this wilderness, the bondage, the dying, that is kind of just part of it, right? That's part of the yes. riches
2: of the path. Absolutely. And and you know, it makes me feel good just knowing that's the case. And in other words, it's a map and both the narrative and the spiral are saying, and you are here. And so if there are places of chaos in my life, I can understand, well, they're necessary. I mean, how in the world can I grow if I don't deconstruct in order to reconstruct. Mm. And so I can actually have more comfort in the fact that I'm not sure of what the outcome is going to be. And as a matter of fact, that's the way my faith grows. I mean, after all, faith means that I have this hope or this belief or this understanding that that is the process of God. It's a God process. So yeah, we should be uh, comfortable with that. Now, the traditional age, because it doesn't question authority, and we talk about boundaries, it's very much wanting to defend the boundaries rather than to ask, seek, and knock. And we have to remember that as far as questioning, I'm assuming when Jesus said ask, he meant like as in a question. And so, and so, when you're in the traditional age, that worldview. That worldview is about, and I was there, I, I had this belief very strongly, and it wasn't because I was a bad person, nor are the people that I love dearly who still hold this type of worldview bad people at all. Uh, they're, they're very loving people from whom I've, I've gained much and received much, but that particular view for me was that my main job was to defend the truth. And what that mm-hmm. meant was is that I already had the truth. And I knew what its boundaries were, and those boundaries were fixed. As you begin to grow, the problem with that is, is that when you question, there could end up being an answer that's different from the answer you've always believed, and that scares people to death. Why? Yeah, yeah. You are threatening their very God identity, and they are going to be extremely concerned for your perhaps eternal destiny or for your well-being spiritually, or whatever it is. And that is why people get so upset. And Spiral Dynamics helped me to understand and have compassion and empathy for people who strongly criticized me because they were not bad people. They were simply people that were, were following what they honestly, genuinely believed God wanted them to do. Hmm. that's such an important point man i mean because it,
1: it does i mean inevitably we have to use words to describe things because we're people and so we create these different levels and they there's so much truth in them they make so much sense but it, it's really hard in our minds not to view them as a hierarchy like like it's a staircase
2: uh yeah
1: and yeah. so uh, it,
2: yeah go, go ahead. ahead i was going to say that it, it by the way when you get to postmodernity. That is the stage that is politically correct. It uh, likes to relativize. It does not like hierarchies. For one thing in modernity, modernity is all about hierarchies. The harder you work, the better uh, you achieve. It's all about achievement and meritocracy. And so postmodernity is a pushback against that. And so postmodernity is very, very skeptical of hierarchies, and rightly so, because there have been a lot of unhealthy hierarchies. So people will say to me, oh, I see, you think you're more conscious than everyone else with this spiral thing, uh, blah, 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 blah. And what I I say, my understanding is, uh, this is a good uh, example of second tier, when Jesus moves us into a second tier here, understanding of hierarchy. Hierarchy is The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Mm. That's second-tier hierarchy. And so if you say, oh, you you think you're more conscious, I would say, well, what do you think? Do you think it's more conscious to wash someone's feet? Do you Mm. think it's more conscious to to go out of your way to contribute to someone else's life? You tell me. Do you think that's more conscious or not? I do, and I don't have any problem in in saying that. And I think we need more people that are not as uh, concerned about uh, their own welfare and more concerned about it. That kind of conversation. But that's that hierarchy thing, Stephen, is one that you get a pushback from a lot from those that have a postmodern center of gravity.
0: I, I'd i like to, one of the things, you know, w- when you think about the postmodern, uh, you know, there can be this idea, or I, I would call it kind of this illusion that, you know, well, in postmodernity, modernity, modernity we believe that. Um, you know, there is no, you know, there is no right way. It's more, everyone's, it's all relative. Everyone sort of has their way and is in their space and what's good for you is good for you. And there can be this sort of, uh, uh this, I call it this illusion that, well, we really do all, we must all love each other because it's all relative and we must, you know, th- w- we're beyond the traditional, we're beyond the modern, and yet postmodern is still totally tier one thinking. Um, and talk a bit about, uh, Doug, if you don't mind, expound on kind of how postmodernity can kind of fall into the same traps that, you know, I think, or that way of thinking can fall into the same traps with boundaries and identity, you know, it seems like the progressive way, but and at the same Time, it's like actually, there's a lot of pitfalls there as well,
2: yeah. That's yeah, yeah, and that's and and that's when you are looking at a uh, center of gravity in first tier again. If I'm in second tier. I'm looking right. at all that postmodernity brought, but I'm trying to say, how can, let me take the healthy aspects of it. When I'm in first tier, I can become subject to the unhealthy aspects. So in postmodernity, for example, we can have, um, I think, uh, if you watch HBO, I think it is, Bill Maher on there. He's a great example of postmodernity. Right. What, what happens with a lot of postmodern thinking is that we want inclusiveness, we want equal rights, we want non-discrimination and um, uh, equality, justice for all. Those are all excellent points. And so we want everyone to be included, but when a traditionalist is entered into the conversation, that's where postmodernity draws a line and says, Mm. anyone that is but you. And then the postmoderns go off. Oh, these are all Bible-banging, backward, uh, non-educated, blah, blah, blah. And so that can be the unhealthy aspect of the postmodernity when the center of gravity is purely a first tier. Mm.
0: Yeah that makes sense. So there's still the boundaries, there's still the us versus them. What we talk a bit about yeah. Rich, about yeah. Richard Rohr, you know, uh, someone that's influenced us quite a bit and mm. we did an episode mm-hmm. on Richard and the, that's the dual thinking, right? I mean immediately yes. it's in and out thinking. It's it's yes. just totally it's not a uh transcendent include, it's not a yes and it's the no right. but them, you know, still yes. wanting to draw the
2: lines. Yes. Yes. And and um you know, when it comes to those us versus them paradigms, which, uh, again, I I think about Paul when he wrote uh, to the folks in Ephesus and he talked about one of the missions of Jesus was to tear down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, mm, thus yes. making one new man, one new humanity. This wall or this boundary was referred to by Paul as that which will manifest hostility. And so this is what we see when we get into these uh, us versus them paradigms. It does manifest hostility. Separation is, in uh, my understanding, uh, a biblical definition of death, in fact. Uh, And so you you can see how that boundary-driven thinking and that us versus them Uh, creates such a difficulty that Jesus was trying to address 2,000 years ago. Unfortunately, when you are in a traditional uh, worldview, you believe that the the boundaries are necessary to determine who's okay and who's not okay, and you take that um, uh, to the uh, folks that you're talking to, and they get the impression that you do not want to listen, you do not want to hear what I have to say, and you seem to be very angry and, and hostile right. all the time. Right. Right? right. And so, and so, uh, once again, though, if I understand where they're coming from, which it took me years to work through so many things, and I'm not saying I've overcome all this. I still have an ego that's just as good as anyone else's. I mean, I can, I can uh, go warrior. In, in a heartbeat, just like the <laughs> yeah. next guy. Uh, so I don't claim mine's better. Yeah. But, but you can, you can have more, uh, understanding. This is what I like about spiral dynamics. It helped me to have more understanding of why people take the positions they do and why they manifest certain things. It doesn't excuse it. You know, when, when people get into character assassination and those kinds of things, right, but yeah. it, it does help you understand uh, when men speak all manner of evil against you falsely. Ta da! Ta da! Ta da! That Jesus was well aware <clears throat> that what boundaries uh, have the potential for is boundary-driven conflict. That's such
1: a good point to make. I mean, gosh, it's. I, I I've talked with a lot of people, and it, and it's so hard. Uh, a lot of a lot of people that are in this process, like I guess, to 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 use the framework, they're sort of in the wilderness, wandering. And, and there's this thing where as you go into the wilderness you have all the anxiety of course of losing what you had your identity attached to before at the previous level so you have all that anxiety but then on compounded on top of that you have like the the, the sort of the isolation that occurs right um, when you when you when you were rooted in a community that that would that, 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 that thinks differently or whatnot or, or, or you think differently from your family or your friends or whatever so mm. you have it's a it's kind of a double whammy so how do you how do people um how does that how 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 do relationships work like that how do you how do we how do we actually do that practically where you have people who maybe in blue are genuinely concerned like genuinely truly concerned about where a person is headed uh, boundaries being
0: crossed etc
1: boundaries are being crossed um, and then you have somebody who's maybe Coming into, uh, I guess I, I should tell people I'm using the colors. Um, we'll unpack that later. There are, there are sort of a color code to these things that make it easier to yeah, talk about yeah. them. Blue is traditional and <laughs> orange is the postmodern. Um, so uh, how, how would a relationship like that work in a way that's, that's healthy and that, is, that uh, is beneficial to folks on both
2: sides of that, of that wall? Yeah, and so this is the art of navigating life, and there are a number of points here. First of all, I have to realize that I cannot control anyone else's reaction. I can only control my own actions and reactions. I cannot control anyone else's. Secondly, I can understand that there are ways of saying things to people that will either contribute— to a positive conversation, or it will do just the opposite. If I feel I'm in a family situation, and we laugh about this all the time, believe me, I have these conversations constantly. I'm having them with people, uh, families. Uh, this is just common today. This is why we're doing these podcasts, right? And so we'll talk about things like when we get together for Thanksgiving, when we get together for Christmas. Um, My phrase that I have used for years is there are some cases where the very best policy is do not engage. Mm. Do not engage. And that might be the very best thing I can contribute to that time together that I know that because of where someone else's boundaries are and their intention to convert me or to move me within those boundaries – that And nothing less will do. They're not going to be happy and they're not going to be satisfied unless that happens. I know that I am um, not going to be able to do or say anything that will be pleasing to them unless I regress and acquiesce and say it's just not worth the trouble. And in fact, I, I know a lot of people who will go to church and will worship and find great fellowship there and friendship and social community and hold views that they would never bring up in, say, their Sunday school class or whatever, because they know what would happen if they did. And so, okay, those are all decisions. I know that a few people like people,
1: that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering well, if they're in this conversation. I, I, yeah, I used to be.
2: So um, <laughs> You made it <a> out? So <laughs> I'm a recovering whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so, so but I, again, you know, we joke about that. All of this comes down to uh, that, that we all have to make our best effort. But at the end of the day, there are going to be times when I look back and say, I wish I hadn't gone that route. There are going to be times when I I regret that maybe I said something or the way I said it. There are going to be other times that uh, I may be uh, thinking about how harsh someone has been or how stubborn uh, and the fact that there are people that really have questions and no one seems to want to talk to them, and and that's frustrating. So all of these things, at least, I'm saying, well, I understand how the map works. And there comes a time— when you, you may change uh, the community that you're in, in the sense of trying to find a community that has a center of gravity that allows you to have a non-hostile yes. conversation. Yes.
0: Yeah, that is exactly, you know, cause I love the center of gravity language because it's nice to have a center of gravity, right? But that doesn't mean it's a, you know a four-walled, locked-in. You know, it's no. it's simply a pull and a center. Um, you know, it. I think the easy. I mean, you know, it, if everyone. If, if everyone who's in a for, in a church setting today, you know, decided that, you know, well, you know, th- this, uh, this is just too traditional for me, it's just blue, it's whatever, so, you know, the best thing for me to do because I just don't fit into this, you know, framework or thinking or this color is, is I'm out, you know, I'm just going to leave and we're going to go and I'll congregate with people that are just like me and think like me and act like me, whether that's church or out of church, you know, I think p- my personal conviction and thought, is that Jesus, what I see Jesus doing is this sort of not only holding a lot of this tension, but bringing together, and, and really the Apostle Paul too, is bringing together these groups or these these people, in di- whether they're at different levels of consciousness or just coming from different... Tribal ways of thinking, or just where, where there is clearly tension—Jew, Gentile, um, you know, or or uh, slave and slave and uh, ma- uh, free, and you know, master and slave—and I think about the language. You know, there is neither Greek or or Jew, slave, free, man, woman. But there seems to be a bringing together of these different views, and that diversity. Um, yeah. is rich and and necessary. And I think that diversity is really where so much more fruit can come in terms of life-giving. You talk about new heaven, new earth. You talk about, you know, I, I think about the fruits of the Spirit as as written about in Scripture. I mean, so much can come from um, th- having that, that diversity and, and room and space for that. And I guess that that's kind of me just preaching for a minute. But I, I feel like all, I'm curious also, Doug, I guess from your perspective, you see so many... Um, You know, you have so many individual conversations, you've seen so many communities, both religious and not, but I'm thinking my question is going to be in for, for people that identify as Christian and are in church, what have you seen for folks that have embraced this? Um, for folks that are willing to explore and sit with some of these tensions and awarenesses, what have you seen that is working? And what are the fruits that you've noticed in communities or even for individuals, uh, transformations, you know, that have occurred for folks that have kind of adopted a lot of this are sitting with that tension, are willing to lower the boundaries and just, and and again, welcome in that diversity.
2: Yeah. So in, Looking at the spiral, and let's just concentrate on the three worldviews that are prevalent today, right now on the planet, that makes it extremely challenging for any pastor. And that is that you can have in your pew at any one point in time, people that are more from a traditional worldview or more from a modern worldview or a postmodern worldview. And see, we've never had a situation where three worldviews that prevalent could all be sitting in the pew at the same time. The the, The challenges inevitably in church after church after church, denomination after denomination, it's not specific to any denomination. This is universal to every church denomination. And that is that when you have groups whose center of gravity is in the traditional worldview, those boundaries are so fixed that anything outside of those boundaries will absolutely not be entertained or held, as you say, in a tension type way. It actually requires that you get to an orange modernity where someone's at least to a point where they're open, mm. open to questioning not because they say, I know how I actually feel about this specific issue, but I do have questions about it. And I'm willing to hear what you have to say about it. You at least have to get to that orange stage. If you're in the blue stage, uh, what I have found is that at some point in time, the blue is never going to give way their authority um, and their control. And and that is because that's what blue is. Uh, I'm, I'm using the color too, Stephen. I apologize for that. I'm so used to talking right. spiral dynamics. That's uh, a, the that's a, that's traditional. traditional age. Yeah, sorry about that. So that's the traditional age. When you get into modernity and postmodernity, you can have disagreements. You can hold things in tension. You can say you don't know. You can talk about uncertainty and not freak out about it because you are saying that that is part of of who we are as human beings. And in fact, as I would point to the narrative, that's the way the narrative has worked. I mean, Paul was in very frustrating places, that which I want to do, I do not, and that which I would do, that I don't do, and on and on. And, uh, you know, it's just part of the biblical narrative. It's not something that we're saying, oh, Uh, people have diverted from the truth and gone into this modernity questioning and and uncertain. No, I believe that's part of the narrative. And likewise, postmodernity and what it brings, I believe that's part of the narrative. That's the way it works. Other people will say that I didn't evolve, that I devolved, that I regressed, and that I've moved into heresy or apostate or something like that. And that will be the position of the traditional Worldview. That's why it's called the traditional worldview. So there is an extent to which people have—I've had this, again, many times—said, okay, I will work within this particular traditional group, and I will try to be leaven, and I will try to offer up conversations that can lead to a more— uh, questioning, open, modern type worldview. In some cases, that uh, has happened within congregations. I do know some that have, have moved forward, but in many cases, that's a tough, tough row to hoe, as they say. So that's just been my experience. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying it, it can't happen. Right. I'm saying be aware if you've made that choice that. If you find yourself going home every Sunday and you're not in a good mood, <laughs> you know, at some point, you know, you you, you have to make that you, you have to make that decision. So wh- what you're saying about holding things in tension to me is because I would say that you all are using all the way up through uh, all the first tiers that you guys are beginning to take an approach that integral is about, meaning you're integrating. When you integrate, you're able to hold different worldviews in tension, which is what you guys are talking about. But it requires that we uh, have moved for whatever reasons in our lives, we have moved to that point of view.
1: Hmm. That's such a good point. I mean, I think, um, gosh, I... I... <laughs> I, I'm thinking of uh, like times. This one time, I had a fight with my wife. This is a while back, a long time ago, and that doesn't happen anymore. Right. This right. is this is, this is, this is <laughs> before <laughs> I got to Aura. Before yeah, tier I, two. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so a long time ago, uh, okay. she was in red. It was mostly her fault. So <laughs> archaic. Warrior, hey, oh, warrior, yeah. uh, <laughs> so. But, in, in, you know, in, in my, with, with my wife, I mean, ultimately, if there's going to be a re- reconciliation, if things are going to move forward, one of us has to move first. Uh, like, one of us has to kind of mm. reach over first. And so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of envisioning in, in, in church congregations, you know, for people that do feel like they want to stay, but they also feel like they're kind of shifting and they can't go back in their thinking it seems to me that the only way that, that congregations are going to, are going to be able to move would be somehow that, that there will be a group of people who are willing to, uh, I, I guess because they're not, they're they're consciously no longer getting their identity from those positions, from, from the, the, the place they hold, they are now willing and able to come into a conversation with somebody of a different level, so to speak. And, and, not engage, I guess, in terms of like you know, battle, but in be engaged emotionally, present, like to be there with that yes. person where they are. yeah
2: yes. um, so that's that's a hard thing to do. Um, <laughs> but but, Stephen, I will say this to anyone who's listening who's in a position of authority in their denomination. I strongly urge anyone who's in a position of authority within that denomination to really think about the best way to contribute to all those who are coming through the door, meaning uh, what are you accomplishing What and how do you think you're going to get it accomplished? This is where leadership, uh, if leadership is willing not to say that you're sacrificing your principles, your beliefs, et cetera, but that you are at least willing to entertain a conversation, you're willing to patiently listen to questions, you're willing to also give people encouragement. Mm. I know a lot of people that had great success simply by telling someone who had a, a completely different uh, opinion or interpretation of. of the biblical narrative than they did simply by them saying, well, you know what? I, I don't agree with what you're saying, but boy, I sure appreciate your passion for God. I appreciate the fact that you obviously are trying to uh, live your life according to spiritual principles. I just want you to know that I really appreciate that. To me, some words of encouragement, some Mm. ability to, as a leader, be mature enough to do what you just said, Stephen, and that is to be able to reach out. Because if your wife reaches out to you, uh, that's a great first move but the relationship is not going to work out if you don't respond. Mm, and right. and so and so and you and so you have to realize that and and so you have to realize yeah that's the way relationships do work. So it's not easy. This is these are difficult times and for me personally I think it's because the millennial millennials of our time the 20s and 30s etc. you guys have grown up in modernity You didn't grow up in traditional. You grew up in modernity. To question is like, well, of course, duh. Yeah, Mm. you should hold things in. Yeah, there's various opinions. Yeah, the world's diverse. Yeah, there's a whole lot of different people in my universe. They're not all, they don't look like me. They don't talk like me, blah, 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 blah. So I believe that part of the movement that we're having is outstanding. And that is that the millennial generation is taking leadership and we need that millennial generation and we need the uh, concern to hold thing in tension because in my mind that is the way that growth always has happened. Awesome.
0: Man. Awesome. Doug, that very it. well very well said. Well this has been this has been an awesome um, time together. Thank you so much again for, for connecting with us. You know, I, I want to go ahead and just say we, we try to cliffhang our folks when we can, um, which our, li- our listeners I'm sure love. Not really. Um, so I want to do a part two. I mean, We have to have you back on. I want to hear, I would love to next time dive more into kind of what we're hitting here even in the last 15 minutes or so, but then we'd love to also hear more just about your story and, and your journey and how you've arrived to where you're at today. And um, anyway, we can get into all that in the future, but wanted to give you also a quick just platform Platform. For folks that are interested in learning more, um, the, the work you're doing at Presence, any other particular you know, authors, or we've mentioned a few here, I just want to give you an extra kind of 30 seconds here to kind of direct folks if there's any further interest in Spiral Dynamics or what you're doing at Presence.
2: Yeah, so obviously, if you have any interest in taking a look at what we're calling integral theology, that's an approach using spiral dynamics, uh, you can go to our website, which is simply presence.tv, presence.tv. If you want to do some study on your own, I would suggest as an entry into spiral dynamics that you actually get a book by Steve McIntosh, M C I N. T-O-S-H, Macintosh, on integral consciousness, it gives a history of how it has unfolded, how the eras have worked, and what the healthy and unhealthy of each era is. It's in a very nice, readable form, uh, not nearly as technical as Dr. Beck's book on spiral dynamics, which is obviously uh, the foundation of the whole thing if you want to go deeper. Excellent.
1: Awesome. And now Doug has generously, we should tell our listeners, he generously offered if you go to the website, you go to the store, there's a promo code presence. You can purchase your tier two certificate for
2: 35% <laughs> for, for off. <laughs> off. You can be integral. You'll get a certificate that says I am second tier. Yes. And the the t-shirt, the t-shirts extra, the t-shirts a little (laughs) bit more. Well, that's awesome.
0: That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, thanks again, everyone for tuning in and uh, appreciate you guys listening. Stay tuned for part two. Thanks for listening to the podcast, Doug. Thanks again for, uh, for being online with us.
2: My pleasure guys.